When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. On 882-6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, usually at this point, I just uh, rip straight into an introduction uh, and a welcome to our guest, but uh, I feel a bit uh, underprepared and, and ill-equipped to do it this time because uh, I've seen this man uh, welcome uh, people in the past, and it's it's a fantastic experience. So I, I, I'm just going to say hello and welcome Professor Len Collard. Uh, perhaps you can give me some tips on how to do an appropriate welcome. <laughs> hey, Tim, how are you? Yeah, thanks uh, so much for inviting me into uh, 6PR to have a yarn with you. Um, yeah, Tim, I said uh, thanks a lot um, and uh, that our people have been here for a long time and that, um, you know, that this is our ancestral homelands yep. um, from the past to the present to today. And, um, you know, uh, Perth's a great spot and uh, we call it Birit. And Birit in the Noongar language means the pathways and it just so happens that all the highways and byways in the Noongar world I think they were footpaths back then, not mm. the big uh, highways that we know now. And so the footpaths, which became the roadways, the highways and byways of modern Perth, are, are set on the foundations of the Noongar Trails, which came to the place that people today know as Perth. And therefore, Berit um, is where the pathways or the travel routes came to be. I might get you to revisit that uh, in a little bit because uh, in our research ahead of this interview, I came across some uh, some of your comments mm. uh, about that, uh, particularly uh, in the in a discussion about colonial uh, colonisation. Mm. Um, so I might get to that in a little bit because cool. uh, I was I was fascinated to hear what you said. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, look, I'm keen to know where you uh, got this uh, this motivation to really uh, want to preserve mm. and keep going. Um, Aboriginal languages, because I know that's that's mm. your absolute passion at the moment, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, oh, well, I think it always has been, Tim. Um, I guess um, when you're a young bloke, you know, you're raised, any of the families, you know, and talk about when they're raised in Australia, you know, whether they were ethnic families, uh, always I think um, the kids grew up here, they're caught kind of in two worlds. Uh, mum and dad were talking in the home home languages. And the kids were kind of learning. Some learned to speak and were good at it, and others knew how to listen to and know what they said, but weren't able to speak. And uh, a lot of Noongars were in the same boat, I think. Mm. Um, that we we uh, in the in, in our lifetime, our our grandparents, 
and our parents, they all, they were all Noongar speakers. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, if they said go and get the wood for the fire, you know, well, you had to know what they said, so you go and do it. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, by the time you got to Wycombe Valley Primary School, um, of course, then you, then you, you had these people speaking Australian to us. Um, and, uh, of course, we didn't always understand exactly what they were saying. Yeah. And uh, I remember my friends uh, from Wycombe Valley, uh, a mate of mine, Rod Parrott, he's, he's been dead about 40 years now, believe it or not. But uh, he, um, uh, he, uh, he used to be fascinated in, in the way, way uh, us Noongar spoke. And mm. corner, corner, you know, so you know, that, that was, the, I think, the foundations of, of language and speaking was always there. Mm. And um, uh, eventually, I think, Tim, you know, going to uni, and I did a program in uh, youth uh, sociology. And, of course, then the question was, well, how do you transfer values from one generation to the next? Yeah. And so then I realised, oh, yeah. The power this, of language. This is the uh, power of language, and, mm. and the language in, underpins the values of, of uh, society and family and, and individuals. Where were you born, Len? I was born in uh, a famous place, uh, Nicky Winmar. He comes from that place out there, uh, Pingerley. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, was, uh, I was I was born out in '59 out at Pingley, and uh, um, yeah, when I go to Pingley, I usually go back to the hospital and do the salute and mm. and uh, celebrate my my coming into the uh, into the world at Pingley. Mm. Mm. You'd be pretty pleased with the Nicky Winmar statue uh, outside the the well, new stadium. I was, then I was a big advocate; it should have been at Pingley. Yeah, and. Uh, Unfortunately, my voice wasn't heard, and it's ended up here on the at the Opera Stadium, which is a fantastic outcome. Mm, maybe we can have two. Well, I mean, I I, I think Tim, for me, uh, yeah, why don't put one out at Pingley? Because I'm sure the Pingley crowd would love to see yeah. punters getting out there and have a cup of coffee and have a couple of you know sort of cakes at the shop there and empty their pockets out at Pingley and help the the local yeah. economy. Um, if you can appreciate what I'm sort of getting at, it's not that mm. far away, really. No, quick run out there to Winmar Country. What would, so what were the early years like uh, at, at Pingley? What do you remember of those days? Well, not a lot actually, because um, I was born there. Then we, because uh, um, my family uh, mainly lived in and around Brookton, which yep. is only a couple of ten or twelve k's um, north of Pingley. Uh, and then, uh, then we basically come to live in Wycombe Valley in the early sixties. Uh, so you, I don't you were one of how many? Uh, there was there was uh, I was one of nine, and yep. then uh, my dad had a, he, my mum passed away, and. Then Dad um, uh, met a, a lovely lady, and they had another son. So nine in the first marriage, and then my dad had one in the second family. So in all, there's ten of us. Yep. So um, comes in Andy having mm. ten in the family. Where did you fit in the pecking order there? Oh, I was pretty low down, mate. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was number eight. Yeah. Mm. So so you moved to, to Whitecombe Valley then mm. uh, in your early years. Yeah. Um, and can I ask just on the language <laughs> again? Um, did you guys all speak Noongar then at home? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so you, you know, your first exposure to the English language essentially was when you got to school? Well, when you had to go to the shop. Yeah, or, or go to the shop, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, without going to say, we, we spoke a kind of English, like everybody, you know. Mm. Everybody speaks a kind of English. And, you know, people say in Australia we speak English. and I don't think we speak English at all. I mean, I've been to England. When I sp- spoke to those English people, they didn't understand necessarily what I was saying. <laughs> and I'm sure, Tim, you've probably gone overseas and when your accent and the way you talk and people sometimes say, well, can you say that again? I didn't understand mm. what you're saying. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I think we speak Australian um, and we speak Southwest Australian and mm. at home um, the kind of Noongar we spoke was somewhere in that 
in that language scape, so to speak. Professor Len Collard, as you are mm. now, what were you like as a student in those early days? Oh, I was a top student, mate. Anybody can tell you that. <laughs> uh, what would your teachers tell me then? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I was just an average kid that probably struggled a lot. Yeah. Um, and a fascination with literature at that early stage? No. No? Writing was like pulling teeth, mate, out of a shark. Mm. Um, so the irony of it was, yeah, I mean, how come you got tangled up in that? Uh, I, I didn't really come from a literary family, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going to school at Wycombe Valley and, you know, have to sit in the class and do the processing of how to write things and, you know, construct sentences or whatever. And I remember the, the main feedback I had as a kid was my writing was absolutely terrible and they couldn't understand my writing because it was so bad. And I remember which teacher uh, it was, I don't remember, but I do remember a teacher saying to me that, you know, if you don't learn to write properly, you're, you're going to struggle all your life. And, yeah, I think that person was right. And even today, you know, when I, when I write something, which you don't write a lot at all, I mean, you process it on the computer, but... When I write, I mean, I've actually forgotten how to write in lowercase, and yeah. I only write in, in uppercase. Yeah. And I usually don't write too much anyway, <laughs> with my handwriting. So, yeah. yeah. It's amazing how, in really in one generation, mm. uh, the, the amount of handwriting you require to do has just slipped down so much, yeah. hasn't it? Um, going through school, though, so you, you're at White Gum Valley mm. in your primary school. Mm. Uh, what were your ambitions at that point then? What, what, was, what was life going to be like for, for Len Collard post-schooling? Uh, then, well, I, probably, I don't know whether we had ambitions. We just sort of lived life and kind of enjoyed it every day. And when mm. the holidays came, you know, that was great. We could slip down there to the Fremantle Boat Harbour and go catch a crab or catch some crayfish or maybe spear some hockeys or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I can't recollect that I sort of looked ahead and said I want to be a university professor at, at the University of WA. But um, I think, you know, we, we lived in the, the days where we were likely to become uh, fodder for the factories. Yep. You know, around Wycombe, uh, O'Connor, there was factories. And I remember my mates, when we were at high school, obviously start talking about things. And my friends, uh, they're, they're, they were geared to become um, uh, apprentices, mm. which they all did. They all did apprenticeships. And I didn't do an apprenticeship, um, but I ended up um, getting some work in the factories there around uh, O'Connor. And then I uh, got a, got work at the abattoirs at Rob's Jetty, which is gone now. Yeah. Um, the, the upside of it was uh, is that we actually learnt to go to work. So you had to get up early and go. And the good news was that it depends how big the kill was. Yeah. Um, you could go home. Sometimes you'd go home early. So that was great. Um the other upside it was, uh, I mean, we were earning, you know, maybe $120, $150 a week in income. My mates, when they were doing apprenticeships, they were getting 40 or 50 bucks. Yeah. But um, as you can tell, the advertisers are not there no more, and the long-term um, economy around that obviously didn't yep. work. Yep. Um, then I, uh, I got married to wife Lisa and had a couple of kids, and uh, so obviously the pressure's on to how do you sustain your family and provide. So um, I, I got a job in the public service as a, as a uh, as a drug courier. Would you believe? Do, do you realise that, Tim? You're talking to a, a government-sanctioned drug courier. Wow! I used to run <laughs> drugs for the government. 
This is sounding I mean, like a, our own version of Narcos here, Len. Yeah, yeah. But let me clarify that. I, I, was, I worked in the health department and uh, I used to run nappies and all manner of stuff for the department, to the child health clinics and whatnot. But one of the jobs I had to do was to go to CS, CSROI, CSRIO. IRO, yeah. Yeah, and I, I had to go and get these packages. And uh, one day I got the better of them. I thought, what's, what's in these things? And I looked, looked in there and they, there was these little glass capsules. And it had, um, uh, what's that drug that uh, heroin addicts have to take? Um, methadone. Methadone, yeah. So I was carrying methadone. And uh, and I thought to myself, gee, this is dangerous. What if, what if somebody realises what I've got? The I mean, valuables uh, you've got yeah, in your car. Yeah. I could be in strife. So, yeah. So that was one of my little one of the little jobs that I had. Yeah. And then uh, I think it, during that time um, in, the, in the sort of uh, 80s, the government, the federal government had a, Policy to get a hundred, I get, I think it was a thousand Aboriginal school teachers by the year two thousand, whatever it was. Yep. But I didn't want to be a school teacher, and I enrolled in a, a youth studies program at um, the then West Australian College of Advanced Education, which became Edith Cowan. Mm. And um, uh, after 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 I'd done a night school um, in English and that to try and figure out how to learn mm. to write and stuff like that. So then I went to, to uni for about four odd years, and um, I. I played footy down Brumbury in the in the bush to pick up extra quid, and my wife worked um, nights doing shell yep. stacking and other mm. arduous tasks to keep the to keep the wheels spinning. Mm. And uh, I think once I got to uni, and then that's when you start to say, "Oh, hang on, there, there could be something." See a path ahead of you. Yeah, you could see a path, mm. and I guess I was probably a bit robust, and I thought, you know, these lecturers here, I mean, I can I can, I can spin a yarn, I can I can talk like them. I can do what they can do, and yeah, I reckon I want to do yeah. this. So yeah, Simon Forrest, uh, uh, Simon's over at um, uh, Curtin now. Well, he was the boss of Coronel Cottage, and then he was the man man that said, Len, do you want to um, put in for these jobs? Uh, we can't guarantee you a job, but if you apply, you never know your luck, mm. which I didn't, hence my Korean Academy mm. um, started. I want to ask you more about uh, what it's like being, I suppose, considered a, a leader and an elder uh, and a spokesperson. Um for your people, uh, but you know, particularly in what is a fairly controversial time, mm. uh, and some pretty controversial government policies uh, made mm. uh, over the years. But uh, we have to take a break, Len. Cool, mate. So we'll get into that after the break. This is uh, inspiring stories. Len Collard is our special guest here on eight eighty two six BR. Back with more soon. You're listening to inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since eighteen eighty eight. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6BR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. When the colonisers came right across Australia and New Zealand and elsewhere, and of course when the Europeans, when the British and the colonisers came, they said they discovered Australia. That's the biggest pack of crap I've ever heard in my life. Because you know what they did? They just come and saw the British and they said, can you show me where your tracks are? And they just walked along the tracks, were already laid there, just like a cattle path or a, or a pathway on the grass when you were a kid walking to school. That's the pathway. They were always there. And today the highways and byways of the big... Um, Big roadways are built upon um, those those um, ancient tracks and trails. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. That's a little snippet uh, of our guest in this episode, Professor Len Collard. Some some pretty 
colourful, forthright language you've used there, Lynn. I'm sure you've uh, had to, to share your thoughts on this many times, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the issue of colonisation, the, the, the argument around it comes up so often, of course, mm-hmm. every year with Australia Day, every time someone wants to put up a statue mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, of, of James Cook or whoever it might be. Uh, I'm sure people come to you for your opinion mm. on this. Yeah. How do you feel about sharing it all the time? No, oh, I love it, mate. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, Australians are noted for their disruptive conversations. That's what Australians do. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, the idea that Australia was discovered was, is a complete fallacy. I mean, it was already discovered. It was already been discovered. It had already been mm. lived here by people for tens and thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, it might have been discovered by some bloke on a boat, and good on him, but you can't stick one person up and say, I discovered Australia, because that's, that's, you know, it's just not the case. And it's, you know, the good, the good thing about it is I think young Australians get it and they understand that. And, yep. and from what I can tell of it, they don't want to continue that sort of fabrication of history, you know, uh, the, the sort of um, continual fiction, fictionalisation to create a fact. Mm. I mean, I know and you know that you know, ancient Aborigines have been in the Swan River, you know, 50,000 plus years. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you mm. know, um, and the thing about it is whether it was, you know, the Eastern States bloke, Captain Cook, because I mean, remember Captain Cook missed WA by 3,000 <laughs> kilometres or miles, whatever it is. And, you know, on the West Coast, I mean, who, who were the Europeans? I mean, you know, the Dutch came here. Yep. Um, you know, the Dutch never said they discovered Australia. I mean, well before. Mm. I mean, the, the English guys are looking at the Dutch maps. And, you know, there's some, there seems to be some, you know, uh, oh, you know sort of dis- discussions around the Chinese came here, but they didn't stay. Um, so, and the thing about it is is that, uh, you know, a part of the, 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 the correction of, of the misinformation is a part of your role. I mean, wh- why would I or anyone want to collaborate in, in, in fiction and you know, f- factless conversation. It, on, it is a very emotive issue, mm. and you know the issue of Australia Day is always. It seems just to, you know, it's Groundhog Day uh, in many <laughs> ways, isn't it? When it comes up, mm. there's always this argument around changing the date, reasons yeah. for and against. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't. The, the debate doesn't mm. seem to be moving very far. It seems to be the mm. same points of view expressed uh, every year. Where do you stand on it? Well, I mean, Australia Day. It has a history of change in the date. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's all manner of paraphernalia around that, you know, South Australia or WA or Queensland, they had all different Australia Days. And, I mean, the idea of Australia Day as a national matter, I mean, when did Australia Day come into into, into our, you know, into our conscious to celebrate it? When did that mm. happen? You know, it's, it's, all, it's all new um, making, Australian making, but... The point is, is that you know, I mean, every day is Australia Day, mm. you know, in my in my eyes, and um, it is it is um, it is a, a, you know sometimes a challenge when you're talking about oh let's celebrate a day when you know certainly some parts of the population hang on, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, we, we haven't got a lot to celebrate, and um, of course when you upset people's apricot on their happy day. You know, you sort of send one that bursts the balloon, but hey, mm. you know, as Australians, we've got to be more sympathetic and more informed about our history, and then um, you know, then take into consideration what are the what are the criteria that we ought to be setting down to say what is Australia Day and what is an Australia Day. So you know, uh, 
the 21st of January. What's so significant about the 21st? Is it the 21st of January? 26th. 26th of January. There you go. <laughs> so what's so significant about the 26th I was going to ask you, what, what do you actually do on Australia Day? But yeah, on the 26th of January. Well, I actually go to work, believe it or not. Yeah. So the people say, well, if you don't want to celebrate, go to work. Well, I, I want to celebrate it, but I still go to work. Yeah. And there's no contradiction in my mind about celebrating it because there's plenty of things to celebrate. But there's also plenty of things that we've got to talk about as a nation. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it goes beyond that one day, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, you are uh, an educator. Mm. Um, you've been at UWA for, for a little while now. You're, yeah. a, you're a professor. Yeah. Um, you're involved in Indigenous studies mm. there. Um, being in the education mm. um, area, I, I imagine you see that more clearly than just about anyone, that the yeah. well, that I education mean, is the key to... Yeah, and it's okay to ask the hard questions, and it's okay yeah. to be emotive, and it's mm. okay to you know, put forward your forthright views. I mean, but at the end of the day, I mean, we live in a, a liberal democracy, and, and we're allowed to actually disagree. Mm. And it's okay to you know post something that says, oh, I think it's you know, 26th of January is blah, 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 or I think it's a great day, or I think it's not such a good day. That, that's the robust exchange of ideas and values in our society. And, you know, I, mean, I never want to say, oh, we're going to stop people from communicating. That's, you know, I'm not an advocate of that. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what, what would be a good day? Well, I mean, I was born on the 24th of December. That could be a good day. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, we got Christmas the next day, so you know. Yeah, you don't have to that. share the limelight like that, Len. Yeah, well, I've, got a, I've already got. I've got, I've got the. I got the big boy upstairs already next door to me. So, yeah. yeah. What about the flag? How do you feel about the flag? Uh, well, you know, again, we, we've got the British, you know, Union Jack on our flag. I mean, well, why do we need that? Mm. You know, we got the we got the the uh, seven sisters on there. You know, I mean, as a, as a nation state, we have to grow up and move on. We can't keep hanging on to our mums, you know what. Mm. I mean, there was a time in your life, Tim, like me, my mum eventually said, son, get off the couch and get to work. I do remember us saying that. Cut, you got to cut. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, Australia's, we've still got plenty of robust yarns to have and we've got plenty of things to do and we've got plenty of action to take, um, you know. Close the gap. Uh, we have... Reports coming out all the time. We had one fairly recently. Mm. Um, a- again, as someone who's uh, in the, the business of education, mm. Len, how do you feel we're going? Well, if you believe all the figures and data, it's not doing too flash at all. Mm. Do you do you get out to many remote communities? Uh, no, Tim. I I tend to. I, well, I, well, I, my main focus is in the southwest, but obviously you've got to look at the global um, concerns as well as the national. I mean, I, I have been in the past out to remote communities, and I mean, you know, there's some good places out there, but there's, you know, there's a lot of problems. I mean, a colleague of mine, uh, Professor Barry Judd at CDU, was talking to me uh, yesterday. Uh, he's a he's a sort of footy guru, done, mm. done a lot of work around Aussie rules in Central Australia, and he said he went to this footy oval and he said all the taps had been turned off and the shower heads had been taken down. There's no water at the footy oval. Mm. I mean, what's going on? Mm. You know, if you can't get you know, decent water to the Australian population. Um, and, and, and why was that? Just the system had broken down? Don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was the drought. Mm. But, um, yeah, getting back to the closing the gap stuff, yeah, I mean, there's uh, one of the big challenges is, of course, um, you know, the population demography of Aboriginal society. I mean, uh, uh, from up from zero to 25, you know, something like 80% of the population are are in that cohort. Yeah. 
So when you say, well, you know, you've got to talk to the elders to you know, come up with the answers, well, okay, so 26 to 90, it's a pretty thin group of people. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it, there's lots of good people out there, but what, what's an issue is that, you know, the government's chopping chains in mind so much and it's, you know, it ends up being on the personality of who's in charge of the country, whether or not something happens. And, mm. you know, they pull money, they put money in, they take it away. They reckon they spend all this money. And, you know, people say, oh, they're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars in Aboriginal affairs. Well, if they were, where it's going. Well, well, where is it? Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think some people have this belief that, you know, sort of every Aboriginal gets a free motor car or something. But, I mean, I, as I say to, to my students, well, if you can find my motor cars, I'm, there must be a car park full of them mm. and you can have one if you can mm. find the car park where my cars are because I don't know where they are. And I'm not sure if there's any other Aboriginal person, you know, that's got, you know, a car park full of, full of government motor cars. I mean, maybe they are. I haven't met them. Pretty sure the police do. <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of challenges. I mean, you know, the the gap, the gap. Uh, some people say it's closing, and some bits might be, but it yeah. just seems like there's so many parts. Long, of long thing. way to go. Yeah. Mm. Professor Len Collard is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories. We need to take a break again, Len. Uh, we'll be back with more soon here on eight eighty two six PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on eight eighty two six PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family owned funeral directors. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Professor Len Collard uh, is our guest. Len, I want to ask you about your love of surfing uh, mm-hmm. in a moment. But just, uh, just to finish off on uh, the issue of education, and you are the, uh, the chief investigator, correct me if I'm wrong here, with the, uh, the School of Indigenous Studies at UWA. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, your students, are they entirely or predominantly Indigenous students? Um, n- not in my uh, academic program. The, the students, be they young or old, um, are, are international, uh, there's national and, and I imagine there's sort of local folk come to the program. Um, I mean, if, if, if we only taught Aboriginal kids at, in my program, I, I think probably shut down because there's not not as many Aboriginal kids at the uni as what we would like. But we, you know, we're working mm. all the time under the leadership of Professor Jill Milroy at the at uh, School of Indigenous Studies to to build capacity. Um, but yeah, the kids, the kids, you know, I've got you know folk from all around the world in, and all around the nation. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and what do they take away from the course? Uh, is it is it history, or do you kind of talk about the sort of stuff we're talking about here about public health issues, um, um, a, yeah, about no, education? Yeah, no, my 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 main focus is uh, in in the area of uh, Noongar studies in Southwest Australia, but it has a global outlook. So, just for example, in my uh, unit, um, INDG eleven six O Bujamutan Kadijan, it's a, uh, a a unit about um, country and about people and about science or knowledge of um, of Nungas and it's about how Nungas have contributed to the making of our nation in the southwest portion. Uh, I cover things like you know uh, theory of, um, of of how we Nungas invent ourselves, how outsiders, anthropologists, sociologists, and whatnot invent us, and then we go through a range of conversations, language, place names, mm. uh, shared space. Um, how Aborigines have incorporated Australians into our country and into our knowledge systems, because you know part of that colonisation stuff. That you know there seems to be this idea that Aborigines have been colonised by others, but I'm saying I, mean, I don't know about 
you know, maybe other Aboriginal folk elsewhere, but Noongars are colonists ourselves. We colonise people. And, you know, you know, and a part of that um, is, is the role that Aborigines in South West Australia, like elsewhere, have played in the making of the nation. And, mm. and in terms of sport, just sport is one example. Mm. You know, you cannot, you cannot talk about Australian rules and the greatest people that changed the game unless you're talking about Noongars. And who's mm. the Noongars I'm talking about? Who's the greatest? You're going to say Nicky Wimmer, aren't you? No, I'm not going to say Nicky, but yeah, he's one of the greatest. No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> Polly Farmer. Yeah, exactly. Polly's a Noongar. Barry yeah. Cable's a Noongar. Yeah. Winmar and Noongar. There's Noongars after Noongars after Noongars. And if you're trying to tell me Noongars are a bunch of dupes who just fall over because some bloke comes along, uh, I don't think so. Mm. All right, surfing. Surfing? You're, you're still a mad keen surfer now, aren't you, Lane? Yeah. Now, Tim, you didn't. Did you know? Did I know you're a mad keen surfer? Yeah. Uh, not until recently. Yeah. And uh, last year I had the good fortune <laughs> to go to the National Indigenous Surfing Championships yeah. at Bells Beach in uh, in Victoria, and I uh, won the Grand Masters. Did you? Yeah. So you're a, you're a, a trophy winning surfer, no less. Yeah, mate. How long have you been surfing for? Uh, Since you're a boy. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, when, when we were kids in Wycombe, we used to go over to Leighton. Leighton was our beach of choice, and yeah. uh, in those days, people might remember if they're. Um, older than me, that used to be able to buy those high the rubber mats. Right, Florida, I think, used to have them, and Triggs might have, and Leighton had them. So you, you kind of had a rubber mat, and I guess if you had some sort of a foam something to float on. And then uh, by the time we got to high school, um, of course, you, we were going to be a, a, a rocker or a bog or a bodgy or a yeah. or a surfy, and so I've, I went with the surfies. I, I haven't heard the term bog for a while, <laughs> but yeah, God, you've just taken me back. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> so we went and joined this into the surfing brigade, and uh, I, along with my friend Rod Parrott, and um, we used to go down down there surfing. And so I, I think su- actual surfing on a surfboard, as uh, yeah. the fin sticking out the back. Or a skeg, um, I would have been about fourteen, I think. Yeah. yeah. How often do you get out now? Oh, not as much as I'd like to, Tim. Obviously, you know, you get sort of sucked into living the world we live in, and you don't get as much. But I uh, had some fantastic wave, waves uh, up mm. in uh, Lombok recently. Um, Villa Collard, our right. uh, our villa up in Lombok. If you want to go for holiday, <laughs> keep <laughs> it in get, mind. Get the plug in. Yeah, and uh, so we went down to Kuda on, on uh, South Lombok and had some cracking waves. That yeah, 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 wicked. Um, Obviously, it's a passion of yours because you, you've you've gone ahead and, and helped set up the Indigenous uh, Surf Championships. Yeah, yeah. No, we we, we did that for about seven years. Uh, it was a while back now. And I think at the end, we, we really enjoyed it and had great time. But I, I think just you just get overloaded with things and the, the things you really enjoy sometimes go to the buy. Yeah. But um, my participation at the moment is in uh, in the national one at Bells. There's other great comps, uh, Newcastle and some other spots. Um, and I'm, I was voted in as the interim chair of the Aboriginal Surfing and Islander Surfing Association. But as surfers do, we um, you know, a bit slow off the mark. Except if you say the surf's good. Pardon my ignorance, but uh, am I am I right in thinking there hasn't been a great tradition of of, of great Noongar surfers? Is, is it a a recreation that um, uh, that your people have long had an association with? Um, yeah, no, I think like everybody, you know, we just picked up surfboards, you know, in in the sort of 70s or whatever. Yeah. But it's ironic, you know, like we, we talk about great Australian sports people and, you know, Nova Paris or whatever or Kathy Freeman or you, you think about the Aussie Rule blokes or the yep. NRL or the whatever it is. Mm. You know, you've got all these great people. But what, one of the things that p- people don't realise that um, Aboriginal men in surfing 
have been at the uh, at the pinnacle, but yeah. people don't know who they are. So, for example, um, guys like um, Michael Peterson. Do you yeah. remember the nick- nickname MP? Mm-hmm. Well, mm. Michael Peterson in in the day, um, he was probably the world's best surfer. He was an Aboriginal bloke. Mm. Um, and you've got one of the greatest uh, surf design, surfboard designers in the world, a guy named Morris Cole. He's an Aboriginal. You know, and I mean, at, at the state level, Sammy Sadler um, was, was a state rep, uh, Kenny Dan. You know, and I mean, over east, you, you've got all these new, new hotties in, on the east coast, um, you know, <sighs> mate. You know, one, one lad, uh, and I forget his name, it's terrible, but you know, he, he won the... Uh, uh, he won the pipeline um, contest, not the big pipeline, but the other one. So right. he, he won, and so there's all these guys that are just killing it in surfing, mm. but people don't know who they are. Mm. If you said, you know, the, the names of the Aboriginal blokes and those rules, or, or in rugby or whatever, people, mm. yeah, I know who that person is. Mm. But in, in surfing, the you know, and not not being sexist, but I'm not sure who the women are. Yeah, but certainly the blokes have been killing it for a long time, but they don't have the same uh, public understanding yeah. don't or have the profile. Yeah. Oh, they go. got the profile. Is I mean, MPs, he had the profile. Don't yes. worry about that. No, I have heard of him, the yeah. uh, the board maker. I must say, look, I'm not Morris a surfer, Cole, so yeah. I, I wouldn't know mm. uh, as much as the surfing community would, mm. obviously. Mm. Um, but, yeah, well, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, keep surfing, Len. Keep hitting the waves. Cool, mate. I think the surf's going to be good on the weekend, so <laughs> I hope I'll get down there. Yeah. Uh, well, look, we need to take another break. But, look, after that, I want to ask you about Normopedia. Because cool. I understand you upset a few people. Starting that up. No, life's like that. Uh, namely, the people that you probably kind of named it after or, in, you know, inspired yeah, yeah, by in the naming yeah. of it. Um, that's a cryptic clue. Yeah. We'll get to that uh, in a moment. We need to take a break. Professor Lynn Collard is our special guest on WA's Inspiring Stories. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882-6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are with Professor Len Collard uh, in this episode. Len, um, you got yourself into a little bit of strife at one point, taking on one of the great uh, tech companies of our time in uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. Tell us how that all went down. Yeah, no, it was... Uh, well. We'd, we'd applied for an Australian Research Council grant to work on the um, thing called, um, um, well, what we end up calling Noongar Pedia. But, but the uni put out a press release and celebrating, obviously, this fantastic outcome. Yeah. And um, we got a letter from uh, Wikipedia that basically mm. said we weren't allowed to use that phrase because it was, you know, was their intellectual so, so, what, so what were you calling it? Oh, it, Tim, so it had obviously had Wikipedia. It had something in to the do with Wikipedia, and I can't yeah. remember the exact thing what it was. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they, they said we couldn't use like it. it. Yeah. So, so I thought, oh, okay, uh, with, with Professor Kim Scott over at Curtin and Professor John Hartley, uh, we sort of we were the uh, key guys, and um, we uh, we decided to give it a new name. So we said, okay, we'll call it Nungarpedia. Yeah, and that was okay. It's it's still that's, that's ours still now. running now. Yeah, it's yeah. still going. Yeah, so we called it Nungarpedia, which I think in the end was kind of the right thing to do mm. because mm. the idea uh, around the Pedia was that um, uh, that every language in the world should be able to, you know, write and read and, yeah. and whatnot, and that was the idea of it. Um, so I, I, it was you know it was 
the right thing to do to mm. the Noongarpedia. And, and what you were trying to do is, I suppose, provide a, a space, a, a digital space where people could contribute to the preservation yeah. uh, of the Noongar language, right? Yeah. How's that going? Yeah, to, to preserve it, uh, to contribute to it, but yep. also to learn. Um, yeah. Because again, there's this idea that Noongar language is, is you know dropped off the edge of the perch and it's dead. Well, that is just not the case. And so the Noongarpedia uh, is a pedia system whereby anybody, um, anybody in the world, can be, become a Noongarpedian and contribute um, to the to the knowledge. And there was a conversation that we had: Do we ride in Noongar only? You know, um, Darwangin, Yangan, Kadijan, Beauty, whatever you want to write about. Yeah. Um, or should we write in, um, hey, how are you going, mate? You know, you've been down to yelling up and checked out the quokkas under the, you know, balga bush over there. Um, and that probably sounds normal. Yep. Um, but that's the, where the trick is that the languages of, of English, so called, and Noongar. Um, collided in this part of the world and they colonised each other. Mm. So we actually, um, in a sense, uh, speak Noongar right. or, or a type of Noongar. Yep. So, you, you know, if I said to you, do you speak Noongar, Tim, what's your response? Well, my immediate response would, would generally be no. But, I mean, I know some place names and yeah, some yeah. Well, names of, uh, yeah. of various flora and fauna that might uh, come yeah. from, have Noongar origins, but yeah. no, I wouldn't say I speak yeah. the language. And so the thing about it is with 5,000 Noongar place names in the southwest, yeah. that's a fair bit of Noongar that you're speaking if you're yeah. going to Mandogalup or Quirining or mm. you know, Dan, mm. you know, Udlacon or whatever. Incredibly long name yeah. to turn off on the freeways you mm. head down <laughs> that well, no exactly. one can say yeah. properly. And, yeah, and I mean, you know, the Quokkas and, and the Chewits and the, and the um, you know, the Balgas and the... Yep. Um, you know the grass trees and and the you know the um, uh, you know, all, all those that flora flora mm. is it's all there mm. and um, well, you know the, the thing about it is one, once you talk to people that are new into into Perth about going down to you know yelling up or querying or whatever you know to check out you know the the um, the the Kwandong trees or whatever on the way I mean you know it's people, all nunga it's all nunga people yeah. don't know what these things are. And so uh, the pedia, uh, the idea of pedia was that okay, which which form we write in? We said we've got to write across the forms. If you want to write in Noongar, you can. Mm. Uh, how do you spell it? Uh, blah blah blah. You know that that's not an issue either, so long as we understand it. And it took a lot of lot, lot of pain in the brain to think how to make it function and operate. Yeah. And yeah, there's still there's still fifty years of work to be done. There's yeah. another, another hundred generations that can get involved. So we're only just you know scratching the surface on the yeah. pedia. Mm. How different are the languages. I mean, there are so many around Australia. How mm. how different well, are they? I mean, if you go out of Noongar territory into say uh, Yamaji mm-hmm. uh, to the north, yeah, yeah, to the north, or one guy to the east, yeah, is there much crossover? Uh, y- yes and no. Yes, yes, there are. No, there's not. It's a bit, you know, like if I said to you, um, did your um, forebearers speak European? Mm. Is that a question you've ever been asked before? No. Now, people say, it's were they English or question. Irish or yeah. were they Italian or whatever? You know, but we get, do we speak Aboriginal? No, we speak Nyunga. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> or we speak Wongai or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, uh, body parts, I think, hands and nose and feet, that seems to be common. Right. Um, but just like, I guess, Europe or anywhere, I suppose, there, there is some common words well, a lot of the, the vernacular. Sort of medical body terms maybe trace back to Latin. 
origins um, <laughs> for, for European languages. They do, don't they? Yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, are, there, so. are there common sounds, mm. uh, for instance, apart from you know body part names that you mentioned? Are there, are there common sounds that uh, perhaps provide um, a link? Yeah, no. Or, or, sometimes when I listen to languages elsewhere, I can, I can. It actually sounds like Nunga, even though mm. it's, you don't necessarily understand what they say, but it sounds the same. Mm. Um, and in some part, other parts of Aboriginal Australia, you know, the, the sounds are just really different. So mm. it tells me they're probably far away. Yeah, mm. Lynn, I, I, a little birdie tells me that you're uh, you're you're a bit of a tinkerer. You like to make things. You, it, it, I was told a story of someone who went to your office and um, you were you were bending water that was coming out of a kettle with some light wave device, and then when when quizzed, what is that? You said, "Oh, I just made it." Yeah, Which well, seems like quite an extraordinary thing to do in your spare time. Man. Yeah, well, I mean, Dave, <laughs> Dave this, this is you sharing yarns. Um, <laughs> I can't yeah. reveal my sources, Lan. <laughs> no, yeah, you know who it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, uh, it, it was a complex yarn, and I don't think I've got enough time to unpack it all. <laughs> but, ben, I mean, Benny, obviously you've got, you've got an imagination and you've got the ability to, to engineer these sorts of things. Where does that come from? That's MacGyver stuff. Yeah, we were we were kids. We, we listened to Imagine by, by you know, yeah, John. Was it John Lennon? Imagine. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, on top of that, uh, we we live in a free thinking world. Thank goodness, and yeah, yeah. and imagine all sorts of things. Whether or not you can have the chance to practice or do it, you know, yeah. like imagining about the pedia, you know, imagining about going to uni and becoming a you know a you know. Involved in the Noongar place names and, and unpacking the ancient codes of the yep. words on the sides of the road that you travel up and down, and the big long word that you mentioned down at Mandra, and mm. actual fact, it's a sentence. Is so, that right? Yeah. Well, there you go. But, but again, you know. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Just uh, finally, then, how hmm. do we say it properly? Um, Manda Gutalap. Right. What is it? Manda Gutalap? I have to look at the word Manda. But uh, Manda translates into the gathering of, of uh, people. Yep. To meet your loved ones, your husband and wife, um, your future in-laws. Um, da is uh, the entrance or the access to. Al is on or by and up is this location. Okay. Yeah. Because so it's one it, of those questions when you're driving in a car, particularly if you've got mm, the tourists in there. Wow, that's a long name. How do you say it? So we've yeah. just got it from you. That's yeah. how you say it. Yeah. Oh, well, I, Anything well, I, less I, than I, that I, one. I imagine uh, Georgie Wally or um, you know, some of the nanuts down there at um, yeah, um, Mandra probably could say it much better than me. Yeah, well, we've had Richard Wally uh, in here, cool. and I, I think he might have uh, given his own rendition as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. close to yours, yeah, I no, think, Lynn, pretty, so I think you're fine. Yeah. Uh, Lynn, thank you so much for coming in and uh, and sharing your story. Wish you all the best, uh, particularly with, uh, with Noongapedia mm. and uh, preserving the language, and hopefully we'll see the similar attempts to preserve uh, other languages around the country yeah, yeah. Uh, as well so thank you very much all right tim just to finally say uh, good day to my daughter and in, uh, mia and <laughs> yep. my son-in-law anthony and my granddaughter olivia and uh may may and uh rose and tim and ingrid you can't uh get on the, the big 6pr without mentioning their name giving a shout out yeah and just to finish off to everybody as as always say i'll see you later on Beautiful. Thank you, Len. Cheers. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR in this episode uh, with Professor Len Collard. Everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Hope you can join us again next time for another edition of WA's Inspiring Stories. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? 
Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.